Regeneration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Sandra. I'm very happy to be here this, mor- to be with- this morning with you. And I'm excited to start this interview regarding periodontal regeneration with the, the master of periodontal regeneration. <laughs> Thank you, Martina. Good morning. Good morning to you and good morning to everybody. Uh, well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure especially to be with you. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. are one of the very young, very expert, uh, new wave of uh, periodontal surgery and periodontal regeneration as well. Thank you for your interview. Thank you, Sandro. Today I would like to start to discuss a little bit with you, starting with the, one of the articles uh, that was in the so-called triad of the papers that you published in 1993 with your group, with Maurizio and with the um, Professor Pini uh, Prato. Exactly. And I would like to focus a little bit more on the one who was focused on the clinical outcomes of the periodontal regeneration, because I think that these papers is really the milestone of the periodontal regeneration in the world, because it was the first paper who stated and uh, demonstrate, despite it was not a randomized trial, but a case series, but in, in some way demonstrated the possibility to obtain periodontal regeneration. Yes, <clears throat> Martina, this is... Uh... Uh, I am grateful that you are referring to this uh, paper because uh, this was a milestone in my history, <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. not only in the history of periodontal regeneration. And uh, maybe it's interesting to, to tell you how this uh, came out. I mean, the background of uh, the idea uh, that uh, constructed this study uh, I had a fortune in my life and the fortune, I had several fortunes in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the fortune was that uh, in 1982, I attended uh, in August uh, to a beautiful course uh, given in Gothenburg by Jan Linde and Sture Niemann. <clears throat> so I, I got in touch with uh, uh, the beginning of periodontal regeneration. As you know, 1982 is the year of publication of the very famous Niemann histological human case. I was fascinated by that. And uh, Sture <clears throat> gave uh, such important information about this new concept of guided tissue regeneration. So he came home. And uh, one year afterwards, I did uh, my first uh, regenerative case with the Gian Pipini Prato, actually. Uh, the case is published, and uh, a few years ago, we published a 30-year follow-up of that single case, 30 years. After that first case, uh, I tried uh, several. And in 1990, <clears throat> I published my first uh, paper on periodontal regeneration. And uh, by applying periodontal regeneration to many cases in different uh, anatomies, uh, fucations, intraboni, 
craters, etc. I I was uh, astonished by incredible outcomes, but also frustrated by uh, a very high level of uh, unpredictability in the outcomes. So there was something or many things that I was not able to control. So I said, okay, let us to start a study. Let us to start a more uh, scientific uh, process. So uh, in 1988 uh, and 19, uh, 1989, I decided to take uh, a series of cases, consecutive cases, apply <coughs> periodontal regeneration and then using uh, the just uh, on the market uh, gore material was really the first uh, try on uh, with the gore materials. And uh, I selected these uh, 40 defects in 23 patients. And uh, there the idea was to measure everything. Really, I took an enormous amount of information of the patient, an That's enormous amount of information of the uh, defect, an enormous amount of information of my surgical procedure. Yeah. And all of these informations <clears throat> have been uh, uh, evaluated uh, with uh, Maurizio Tonetti. We did it in uh, Boston at the beginning of the 90s, then in uh, Bern immediately afterward. And then uh, this ended up in uh, four publications. And uh, starting from this number one to number four, we isolated statistically the real key factors that uh, uh, were able to explain, at least in part, uh, the variability of the clinical outcomes. From then, we started applying modifications to our procedure in order to reduce as much as possible uh, the variability. So this is the history of the study. Mm, yes, this is really interesting because you really were the pioneer. <clears throat> you have this idea to collect all possible data, so also in the re-entry procedures, uh, because you really need to, to discover this amazing mechanism yeah. behind periodontal regeneration. So yeah. this was incredibly fascinating. And can you tell me something more about the, the clinical procedure that you decided to apply in this defect? Because it was really the beginning of the guided bone regeneration, which is yeah. nowadays something which is, uh, which is changed. Yeah. Yeah. In that period, uh, let me say, if, if I go back and uh, watch my photographs and also my videos, because I have several videos of those uh, preliminary cases, uh, I was very rough. <laughs> I am a little disgusted by, <laughs> by my surgery in that period because, well, we, were, we, have, we had been taught by Sture and uh, after, the, after Sture by Torkil, Torkil Carring, that I want to remind everybody, we, I, I got in touch with him and uh, I've been tightening with him a very, a very solid friendship. Yeah, but we were taught uh, to open up uh, a flap like uh, a Widman-like flap uh, to leave the material exposed. I mean, really, the idea was to leave the material exposed, uh, to uh, avoid the 
epithelium to jump into the wound. So there was the idea that uh, this barrier, this non-resolvable barrier could uh, forbid uh, the kangaroo uh, mm -hmm. epithelium to jump into the wound. So, okay, but we had, uh, I was opening these uh, uh, full sickness uh, uh, flaps, uh, but uh, cutting away, throwing away the mid portion of the papilla because I was making a buckle and the lingual incision like I did for the Wiedemann flap. And this uh, uh, came uh, uh, in our analysis to be one of the key points that was explaining variability, the impossibility to protect uh, the area for regeneration statistically came to be uh, very, very significant. And uh, then I was uh, opening up very ample flaps uh, with uh, um, an incision on the periosteum to release the buccal flap and uh, placing this ample uh, non-resolvable barrier uh, on top of the defect. Uh, the debridement was absolutely similar to what we do today. The closure was done with a very rough uh, passing suture, was no intention to primary closure. And uh, we were following the patients for uh, five to six weeks before uh, membrane removal. Uh, the protocol of the postoperative protocol was even more stringent than today. We, I checked on the patients uh, basically every week. Uh, then uh, membrane every, removal. For uh, one year, up to the No, 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 for, ah. uh, until, uh, until the removal of the membrane. Then after removal of the membrane, I was checking the patients every month for one year. Yes, because I think this is a concept which is still yeah. valid today. The strict yeah. maintenance care of the patient yeah. is one of the key aspects of periodontal regeneration. I believe so. Even, even if uh, having today a higher probability to obtain a primary closure on top of the healing area, the postoperative uh, uh, checks can be a little less tight, give a little of uh, breath to the patients, <laughs> leave the patients a little more home. But okay, has to be has to be severe and tight. Yes. So starting from this milestone, starting from this publication, I think that now the periodontal regeneration changes a lot. Yes. I don't think that you're periodontal regeneration strategy today is the same that you applied in 1993. I think that you changed many things on both sides from the flap management, but also from the biomaterial side. Yeah, <laughs> definitely so. Uh, you know, um, there is another very important early uh, event that uh, made us able to uh, build up a strategy and uh, modify our approach to periodontal regeneration. And this was uh, the 1994 Toronto meeting, the first award meeting on periodontal regeneration. And uh, <clears throat> there we published on the International Journal of Periodontics and Restorative Dentistry several papers. Personally, I published a paper there with uh, uh, Jerry Bowers, he is my co-author. And uh, in that paper, you find uh, the first uh, decisional trees, the first uh, flow charts 
that are the uh, product of uh, our first study, the one that we are discussing now, uh, the 93 study. So all the factors that we uh, proved to, to be important for periodontal regeneration have been collected into flowcharts that are no, now rather famous around the world in several uh, formats. But the first uh, uh, flowcharts are published in uh, 1995. Then there is a, a second very important uh, uh, point in my history. In 1992, immediately before the publication of these uh, studies, Hey, I already had uh, all the outcomes. Eh? <laughs> I was just uh, uh, writing the paper and uh, yeah. waiting for the publication. So I knew already what to modify. In 1992, I did uh, my first uh, try with the uh, modified papilla preservation technique. So the, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I have uh, the first video on that technique that uh, well is well known around the world uh, where I, described first the modified papilla preservation technique. And uh, that approach uh, was uh, the real uh, key turn in uh, uh, the surgical approach to periodontal regeneration. From then on, uh, uh, part of the unpredictability of the outcomes uh, became history because uh, we were able now to protect the wound to reduce the uh, contamination, bacterial colonization of the materials. And uh, still we were working uh, with the concept of uh, guided tissue regeneration, because uh, what we are discussing now, Martina, is also one bi biological principle, that is a biological principle of uh, guided tissue regeneration, uh, constructed around uh, the concept of a barrier that is protecting uh, the, uh, the defect, yeah. <clears throat> exactly, and yes, I think that your soft tissue approach, the preservation of the supracrestal soft tissue represents really the second milestone in periodontal yeah. regeneration because uh, thanks to your jobs, thanks to your papers, we really understand that we need to protect the blood clot inside the infrabonic component to obtain periodontal regeneration. So starting from that, we start to uh, shift the attention, not only to the hard tissues, but also to the soft tissue in periodontal yeah. regeneration. Yeah. And I was looking in your paper, in the 93 uh, paper that recession parameter was evaluated between the parameters and there was quite a lot of increase in gingival recession after one year, 4.7 millimeters of gingival recession at one year. And I think that now it's something that has changed a lot. Uh, Martina, the recession was 1.8 actually, 1.8 millimeters, but was a lot. Uh, I mean, and the recession was, uh, um, was due to our inability and lack of uh, uh, knowledge about uh, soft tissue management was uh, basically due to the contraction uh, of the papilla uh, that we cut away surgically. Also, <clears throat> I, wanna, I wanna give you another uh, parallel information. 
when you go to the number two of these uh, uh, studies, the one on bone uh, remodeling, you know that in that group of cases, I did a re-entry procedure in all the 40 after one year mm -hmm. to directly measure the bone. So from yeah. that paper, we know exactly where the bone was allocated. So this is one of the few papers exactly. with uh, uh, really re-entry, full re-entry procedure to measure the bone. Yes, in exactly. The, in the bone uh, uh, paper, we also measured uh, a, an amount of uh, uh, demineralization of the bone crest on the crestal tooth. So this is very important because uh, uh, cutting away the papilla caused two important side effects. One, retraction of the gingiva, so gingiva recession. Second, a demineralization of the crestal bone. So we have been losing soft and hard tissues on the top crest. In uh, the subsequent papers, here by here, the gingival recession and the crestal demineralization was reduced to fractions of millimeters, so close to zero. And this is a tremendous modification and uh, improvement, yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Um, I think that with this kind of, with the GTR, with the guided bone procedure, the flap also that should be open in a more ample way. And the, the surgical procedure was a little bit invasive also because then you have a re-entry to remove the barrier. And at that time, patient reported outcomes were not considered important parameters that while today they are considered a lot. So from today point, patient point of view, we started also to reduce the invasiveness of our surgical procedure. And you are one of the father of the <laughs> mini invasive surgical approaches. So yeah. how do you change the mentality from this kind of GTR procedure to the mini invasive flat procedure? Let me say there is a, uh, a midpoint between uh, the first uh, procedures with non-resolvable barriers and the minimal invasive surgery. The midpoint is uh, the application of uh, resolvable barriers and was uh, that was a I think a very important step uh, because uh, invasivity the surgical invasivity was similar in the application of the barrier but uh, with the resolvable material we were at least uh, uh, eliminating the second surgery to remove the barrier and that was a, a step then uh, uh, the real jump came when uh, we were able to apply into these uh, defects regenerative, uh, let me say, concepts. And we don't apply a concept into a defect, but we need a concept. <laughs> behind everything. <laughs> behind any uh, regenerative material. <laughs> so we were provided with regenerative materials that could be uh, placed into the defect 
instead of uh, being placed on top of the defense. So let us to say bone-like materials or biologicals to fill in. Uh, when I had uh, the certainty uh, that these uh, uh, biological principles were really uh, activating in some way, helping regeneration to occur, then uh, I considered the possibility to uh, develop a minimally invasive surgery. And uh, I got a big help uh, in doing so out of uh, one uh, uh, very important decision in my surgical life that was the adoption of a micro uh, surgical, a surgical microscope. So since uh, 1996, I placed uh, an operative microscope in my practice. I started working with uh, the microscope and the microscope opened up mm -hmm. a full world. I immediately uh, realized that I was able to work with uh, much less uh, uh, reflection of the flaps, uh, um, placing a direct light uh, into the defect, uh, really having uh, a more uh, visual acuity, more illumination. And uh, my flap became uh, becoming narrower and narrower until uh, I fall into the uh, development of this uh, MIST, Minimal Invasive Surgical Technique, uh, in which uh, we work basically <clears throat> with a tiny uh, envelope-like flap uh, with still the papilla elevation, mm -hmm. because this is still based uh, with, uh, on the papilla elevation uh, to uh, get access also to the palatal site. And this was published in uh, 2007. But I started working on these uh, uh, small, tiny flaps at the beginning of the 2000s. Uh, as you know, I have a habit, I have to tell you. Uh, before publishing a technique, this is uh, really an ethical principle that I still uh, uh, apply. Before publishing a technique, I tested the technique at least three, four years. Okay? This is something I, I, I don't, I not invent a technique and publish the day after. This I, is something amazing that I listen yeah. to because I think that nowadays we have full of uh, systematic review made on randomized controlled clinical trial. But I think that at the beginning, you need an idea. You need an idea coming from a master that can develop this idea and see if he needs hand, this idea can really work. Yeah. Once the idea works in your hands, you can try to test it in a randomized way, with a control group, whatever you want. But at the beginning, you need a case series and you need to test your new brilliant idea before yeah. start to publish and before start to widespread yeah. your concept. I, I think this is very important, Martina. And uh, I tell you that I have, uh, in my life, uh, developed at least uh, 20 different procedures that I never published and I will never publish. <laughs> because uh, at the beginning, were fascinating for me and I realized that we're, we're not, uh, in a simple way, not efficient were not applicable or whatever. Uh, so I think this is a message that we should uh, spread on uh, the scientific and clinical world 
that uh, before, yeah, before I... a publication, you should be really sure that uh, what you have conceived is uh, uh, working, is uh, efficient, is effective, and is worth uh, to spread out uh, on papers. Yeah. I totally agree with you, but I think that the problem is that there are not many people like you, like because you are at the same time one of the most important researcher on that field, and on the other side, one of the best clinicians. Because it's That's really difficult. No, it's it's true. Um, because it's very difficult to reach the top level in both sides. Because sometimes you are very good with your hands but you are not able to publish your data. Or on the other way around, you are very good on reading the literature and publish a, a review article, but you don't have the clinical understanding on what you are writing. So I think that one of the most important aspects in your career and the reason why for me, you are my, one of my role model is that you combine these two important aspects. The, clinic, the clinical aspect, the surgical aspect with the scientific background. So I really thank you uh, for these uh, jobs, incredible job that you did in your life. And I think that you uh, have done this, uh, this pathway in your life along with a lot of friends, you work in a team. And yeah. this is another important aspect that I think should be underlined because good researches and uh, knowledge and new surgical skill comes from a group most of time. Yeah, yeah. Martina, uh, important that you uh, bring this out. You know, I have uh, in my life uh, one person that has been my mentor, and this is uh, Professor Giampi Piniprato. He's uh, first of all, uh, uh, my big brother is a little more than a friend. <laughs> Gianfi Piniprato is one of the most beautiful persons and an incredibly skilled surgeon, and he helped me to develop my ability in my hands. And uh, we, have, we have done a lot together. Then uh, Maurizio, Maurizio Tonetti, that uh, you know is my twin. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Maurizio, we have uh, built up uh, a life together. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this is probably one of the most uh, resistant and persistent couples <laughs> in the world. We still are together after so many years. And uh, probably we are very much complementary mm -hmm. uh, because uh, he's a very good clinician, but he is an extraordinary scientist mm -hmm. and probably very good in, uh, as a clinician. And I am uh, decent as a scientist. <laughs> so together we, we are doing a one single super structure. <laughs> Let us to say so. Now this is the Cortellini ego that is coming out, but we are joking. But this was extremely important uh, to me and uh, I think to us because uh, out of the discussion and uh, continuous development that we did together, uh, mm -hmm. in fact, uh, our development uh, took uh, place uh, because uh, 
the chat uh, with uh, your peers uh, is what helps you to improve. If you don't have a peers to chat, you are lost. Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree with you. <clears throat> and so now I would like to ask you, which is your vision in the future for the periodontal regeneration? Because uh, now I see I work at the university and I start to see the mentality of new dentists uh, with the implant era. <laughs> they have the tendency to extract a lot of teeth while you show some 20 years follow-up result uh, with incredible stability of the result of periodontal regeneration. So why should we extract these yeah. tools? <laughs> why? Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a, one uh, uh, of the key points uh, in uh, our uh, clinical philosophy, let us to say. Uh, you know that uh, I work in a, I have a, a clinic, a multidisciplinary clinic in which uh, uh, my wife is the real capo. <laughs> like <laughs> and in she is my prostor. Also the capo. <laughs> yes, and, uh, and we have uh, uh, many other people working with us in multidisciplinary uh, setting. And the philosophy has been always to try to save as many teeth as possible. And uh, <clears throat> What you see published and what I teach around the world is uh, what I do every day in practice. This is very important, I tell you, because uh, uh, my educational uh, uh, slides and principles are not out of uh, uh, words, are out of what I do every day in practice. It's really like that. So it's uh, absolutely reproducible by everybody. And uh, starting from uh, this uh, philosophy, from this point that we have been trying to save as many teeth as possible, resisting to the pressure of the market uh, to pull away and uh, screw in uh, implants, uh, uh, then we have developed, uh, uh, you know, our strategy. And uh, we have uh, proven that uh, teeth saved with periodontal regeneration can uh, remain uh, stable for a lifetime, basically, in the mouth of the patient, if well controlled. And as you know, we have also done uh, a very important study published in 2011, a randomized controlled clinical trial, where we compared uh, extraction versus regeneration of teeth that was, were considered in that time hopeless. Mm -hmm. And recently we have published a 10 year follow-up of that study, demonstrating that most of those so-called hopeless teeth and uh, which a prognosis was modified uh, uh, with regeneration are still working units in the mouth of the patient. Also the replacement is still in the mouth of the patient. So the implants that have been uh, placed. So what does it mean? means that uh, uh, the implant is not better than mm -hmm. a tooth that has been uh, uh, recuperated uh, with periodontal regeneration. So please, this is a very important message, please, if you see that there is uh, something to do to save a tooth, save a tooth. Don't place an implant. 
if there is nothing to do or there is not a tooth, then place an implant because what? this is fine. Yes, I totally agree with you. And I would like to ask you something more. Why do you, when do you decide that there is no more possibility for this tooth? When do you really decide that it, probably it will not worth to apply a regenerative procedure? I am, uh, I am now uh, considering, uh, because apart uh, the RCT, I have done uh, many more cases, extreme cases uh, with periodontal regeneration. And I have had some failures. And I tell you the failures are basically uh, coming out of uh, teeth, uh, let me say, impossible to debride. Mm. For example, these extreme teeth in the molar area, if you have a molar mm -hmm. with these yes. extreme conditions, uh, with the trifurcation mm. in the posterior part of the mouth, uh, the technical difficulty and uh, the, uh, the difficult anatomy, uh, the position of the tooth in the mouth is extremely, extremely demanding. And uh, there is a second consideration, Martina. <clears throat> These teeth are all mobile. One of the key points to save a tooth is to keep it stable. Very easy to stabilize uh, a tooth in the anterior part of the mouth. Extremely demanding to uh, stabilize a second upper molar. <laughs> so this is a second key point. Then uh, there is an anatomical issue that is uh, on top of all and uh, is the presence uh, of uh, a very severe defect, but uh, with the bone peaks uh, on the medial and on the distal side. In other words, if you have an horizontal destruction, forget it. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's very clear. So these are the three, three uh, let me say, bigger points, along with the fact that the patient has to be perfect. Exactly. For example, smoking habits is something no, zero, that... Zero, zero. Zero. If I ever smoke, uh, I don't even try. I don't even try. I know that goes to, to fail. It's uh, absolutely uh, not worth uh, to, uh, to, to apply such a procedure into a smoker. But, but if you have a smoker with such a severe defect and then you want to place an implant, to place an implant, you have to rebuild bone. Then you have a susceptible patient okay. that is a smoker in which you have to apply a very demanding procedure to place an implant. And this will fail as well. I totally <clears throat> agree with you. And in your last publication, in the publication of the 20 years follow-up published in uh, 2017, um, you were speaking also about cost benefit between different treatment approach, which is another important aspect, less clinical, but uh, very important also from a patient point of view. Yeah. Can you? Yeah, cost benefit. We have been uh, working a lot now on cost benefits and uh, both on the uh, hopeless RCT. In the hopeless, we have uh, demonstrated that saving a tooth is less expensive than replacing a tooth. 
So if you do an implant and the crown, you spend more than applying regeneration to a tooth. Okay. And th that was quite, uh, you know, simple to demonstrate. Uh, in uh, the 20 year RCT, we have compared the economy of a very simple flap surgery with the economy of regenerated teeth. What comes out uh, is uh, very interesting because uh, applying regeneration is uh, much more expensive than making a flap. But uh, on the longer term, the amount of recurrences that you get in the flap treated sites is much uh, more frequent. So the cost after 20 years become almost even. And in addition, in the flap surgery group, we have been losing a few teeth because uh, we get out of flap surgery with residual pockets. And there is uh, a tremendous association, as we, as we can imagine, between uh, a residual pocket and the possibility of the tooth to avoid recurrences. So the more depth of probing you have in a tooth, the uh, more frequent and uh, possible is a recurrence and in the long term, you risk to lose a tooth. And you spend more money for uh, therapy of recurrences. This is the overall picture of that study. <clears throat> and Martina, sorry, I want to add in uh, another important issue about the cost of the patient. Uh, <clears throat> because this is uh, something that is uh, very much uh, touching uh, my way of doing surgery to my patients because I work on daily patients that pay. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> applying minimal invasive surgery and especially the minimal invasive surgery without uh, papilla reflections, what we call the, the modified mist. It is a very tiny operation type of surgery that they've done in the live surgery of the CDP last week. Last week? That type of surgery. The type of surgery is uh, uh, so fast, let me say, Mm -hmm. so little invasive that uh, for the patient, the burden in terms of uh, side effects is close to zero. And uh, the cost of surgery is becoming uh, less uh, uh, important for the patient. I tell you today, periodontal regeneration in my practice cost less than 10 years ago, okay? Uh, I, I really apply to patients uh, fees that are less than uh, uh, 10 years ago. And this is due to the speed of surgery. My time devoted to each surgery is more or less half of the time that I spend when I do a large flap. So as for economy, application of minimal invasive surgery has a very important impact on also on the patient. Yes. Yeah, yes, on the patient in terms of cost benefit and in terms also yeah. on postoperative morbidity. Because Absolutely. definitely this is another important aspect from patient point of view. Morbidity is so limited that many patients come back for suture removal and they say, hey, really? Did you do anything in my mouth? <laughs> it's really a, a frequent report. But, yeah. 
<laughs> so really, thank you, Sandro. It has been a, a real pleasure. And uh, I think that especially for young dentists uh, that, uh, <laughs> yes, that now would have to decide between periodontal regeneration and uh, uh, teeth removal and implant placement listening to your interview can be something that I think will inspire them because you are really an inspiring mentor for all of us. So thank you very much. And thank you, Martinez. Thank you for your kind words and uh, hope our discussion will be of uh, some interest uh, for <laughs> our colleagues. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. And, uh, See you next time. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao. Oral Regeneration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation.